Last week, we took a break off our sermon series that we've been in, going through the Bible stories. If you've been with us, you know that. We took a break from that to celebrate uh, that last week. And today, we're going to stay off track. We're not going to go back to our year-long series today either, because we have a special topic today as well. But we'll get back to the Bible journey soon, but not today. Today we're going to talk about something that we talk about every single year. It's a, it's a special time, and if you're watching for the first time online or attending on, in person for the first time, we had visitors last hour, I, I would always say, what a great day to come because it's an unusual day, but it's a fun day for Lighthouse Church family. Here's what we're talking about. This is the day that we spend a sermon once a year as we enter this season talking about this year's Be Rich campaign. And we're excited, excited, excited about that. So, Be Rich is, if you see the title, like, oh, wait a minute, Be Rich, is this about money? Yes, it is. Isn't that exciting? But here's the good news. It's not about money for us. In fact, the truth is, is that I am very, very bad about talking about money for us. Some of my team at the church here kind of pokes me about how I need to talk about money that we need sometimes more than I do, but I've seen people do it so much other places that I tend to not do it as much as we probably should. But this is not about us. This is about other organizations that are serving the poor and needy in other places. Every year we come together and I get to give and invite you to join me in giving to some great causes. And of course, it's, it's, a, it's a free will deal. No one has to do it, but we would encourage you to join me and others in an opportunity to give to some great causes that we support every year during our Be Rich campaign in November. So uh, this is the Sunday I talk about it. And if it's your first time being with us, I, I think it's exciting. And if you've been here before, you know what we're about to do is wonderful. At the end of my message, I'm going to talk about three special causes that we want to bless this year, who they are and how we can be a part of that. But for the first part, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that explains where we get our title, Be Rich, from. And then I want to take you from there to a Bible story about Jesus teaching and interacting with some people in his day. But first, let's talk about where we get our series campaign, Be Rich. Where do we get this idea from? It's found in, in Paul's letter to Timothy. Timothy was leading a church or churches in the city of Ephesus. And he was a young man that, that Paul had mentored, and Paul was telling him how to, to guide them in their faith journey. In fact, in the last part of his letter, Paul says to Timothy to remember that the love of money is the root of all evil. Not that money is bad, it's not, but that the love of money or the lust of, or desire or pursuit of money can, can lead us to some very dark places that harm ourselves and, and harm others. And so watch out for that, that misplaced passion. And then a few verses later, towards the end of his letter, Paul says this to Timothy. In verse 17 of chapter 6, Paul says, Teach those who are rich in this world. I'm going to pause here. Because in a city like Ephesus, which was a port city, you'd have wealthy people as well as poor people. Poor, wealthy people because of the commerce and the trade routes that would build financial empires. But also in any city you have poverty. And some of the believers or the Jesus followers were wealthy and others were not. And so Paul says, tell those who are rich in this world. And, and as we read this passage here, we're likely going to think, oh, yes, talk to those rich people. You know, rich people are somebody else. But I want to challenge us today in just a minute here to remind us that whether we feel like it or not, we are the rich people of the world today. 
But Paul is saying to, to Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. So in other words, the temptation is, is to think, well, I, I have the, the money, I'm gonna put my faith in that. But don't put your faith in monetary systems because jobs can disappear, economies can crash, stocks and uh, investments can go down, real estate bubbles can pop, things can happen to the monetary system in a, in a moment. But God, who would never change us, it can be faithful to take care of us through all the turbulence of this world. So put our trust in him and not our stuff or not the system around us, not our money or our wealth. Paul continues, he says, tell them to use their money to do good. I love that sentence all by itself. It's a great thought. Tell them to use their money to do good. Like how often do we use our money to do good? I mean, other than for ourselves or to ourselves, right? And that, what a great statement that is. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always ready to share with others. Now this phrase, be rich in that verse, is where we get our campaign idea from, is they should use their money to do, th being rich in one of three ways, or all three ways. Being rich in good works, that's what we do, and generous to those truly in need, and just always ready, be ready to share with others. Just that open-handedness, not a closed-fistedness, but open-handedness of being generous to other people. So we should be rich in these three ways. And then he says in verse 19, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future. Now in this part of the verse, Paul's gonna kind of signal two ways that when we choose to be rich in good works and helping those who are in need and sharing with others. But when we do this, we're blessing ourselves in two ways. And one is very forward-looking and one is immediate-looking. The forward-looking idea is that we're storing up our treasure as a good investment for the future, referring to what goes beyond this life as we're going to see. What he's saying is don't just invest into your IRA or your 401k for your retirement or into some kind of investment for the next 10 years, but think a little further than that. Invest into things that make an eternal impact and bring eternal reward. And as Paul says this, he's, he's reminding us of something that Jesus once said that's very similar, where Jesus would teach um, to not lay up treasure on earth where things rust or break down or fall apart or people steal them, but instead to lay up treasure in heaven where things are eternal. And Paul says by, by doing these, by being rich in, in good works and generous to the needy and sharing with others, we're storing up our treasure as a good foundation for the future, best investment you'll ever make. And then he adds this statement. He says, so that they may experience true life. And that refers to the present. In other words, I want to experience true living. And what's a very interesting phenomena that you've probably witnessed, and maybe you've thought about it, maybe you've never thought about it, but, but let's think about it. That, that there is surprisingly little to no correlation between money and happiness. Have you ever noticed that? Like there are people that probably you know, and I know, I know people like this. We all know people who have are rich, or at least are richer than us, but they're not happy. They have bad, they have bad relationships, or, or, or they're just, they're, just um, uh, they're worried and full of anxiety about what they do have. 
um, or they're just they're un, un, unsatisfied, they're empty, they're chasing things. They're, they're, there's, I, we've all known people who have more and they're not happy. And what's crazy is I've had the privilege more than once of traveling in parts of the world where people lived in underdeveloped nations where there's the kind of true poverty that we hear about but seldom see. And when I've been to some places where people were living in true, true poverty, the kind that you can't sponge away from your brain because it's so shocking, I have always walked away amazed at how much joy and happiness I found in those spots. More joy than I've seen in people who have it as well as I do. And so when I see people who have so little happy and I see people with so much who are often miserable, I realize there's no correlation between wealth and truly living. And I know that for some of us, we're thinking, well, Arlen, I know that you can say that money won't make me happy, but I'd sure like to give it a, a, give it a try if I could. You know, I get that. I understand that. But here's the thing. It's been proven over and over again that it, there's no correlation. But it doesn't mean the opposite either. It doesn't mean that poverty makes us happy and riches make us miserable. What it means is that you could be poor or rich and happy or poor or rich and miserable. So what's the consistent thread? How can you know which way brings you joy if there's no correlation? And here's the answer. Paul gives us the answer. He says that whether you have a little or a lot, you can bless others with your little ability to do so or your lot ability to do so. And when you are rich in good works and, and generous to those in need and always want to share what you do have, whether it's a little or a lot, when we do those things, that's what brings us true life. So people with very little but who are open-handed with it or people with a whole lot who are open-handed with it experience true living in a way that you don't experience when you hoard whatever you have to yourself. And that's the idea. And so... He says, teach those who are rich to do this, to be rich. And I know that when I say that, you said, Arlen, you said earlier that we're rich, but I don't agree. I'm not rich, but I say we are. You say, but Arlen, I push back because I don't feel rich. And I want to I talk about why we don't feel rich for a second here. The reason that we don't feel rich is because there's always someone around us who is richer than us, right? There's always someone richer than us. It could be our neighbor, could be someone at our job who got the promotion and a better pay or has a, rich, a spouse with a rich income. Or it could be someone who got an inheritance or someone in our community or someone in our friend circle or our family. Or just people we know who are influencers. And we know people richer than us. And because we are our own baseline, right, we're, we, we set our own baseline, then they have more. They're rich. I'm not. And we don't feel rich because we know people who are richer than us. Yet most of us, we almost never consider those who we are richer than. And I try to remind us, I talk about those global trips I've taken before. What shocks me to think about is that you and I, no matter what our income is in this room, we are among the top 2 or 3% of the world's population when it comes to being well off. It's just it's how it is. Now, again, I know that we don't see that up front, so we don't feel that. We see other people around us who are, in many cases, richer than us. So we say, no, amongst where I look at regularly, I feel like a, I'm on the other side. But here's the thing. We are all between the lesser than and the greater than. And if we're around a bunch of people who have more than us, it feels like we're on the bottom of that scale. But we're not looking at the, the rest of the world. And honestly, it's uncomfortable to do so. Like, we try to keep it out of mind. And if you ever travel somewhere where you see true poverty in this country or in other places, it can, it can shock you into realizing, oh, wow. 
but we can kind of turn away from it, turn the channel, scroll past it on our phones if we see something that, because it's always uncomfortable when people have more or less than us. People with more than us, they're jerks, they shouldn't have so much, they should do more, they should do, they should share, you know. And people with less than us, well, they shouldn't be so poor. It's probably their fault, you know. I don't know, it makes me uncomfortable. So, but the truth is, is that we're all between the two, and no matter where you and I are different from each other in this room, we are closer in this country to the greater than than the less than. And I know that's hard to feel that when you see those with more. But here's a question I always ask, and I'm gonna ask it to you. And I got to tease it out once I do because some of us are going to, aha, say I can answer that in a convenient way. So let me just pose the question and tease it out. Here's the question. Can you give it away and still be okay? And it could be anything. I'm going to pick out an arbitrary number, which is dangerous because that might be someone's exception. But can you give 100 bucks away and be okay? When I say $100, I, I know that some of you would be like, well, Arlen, actually, I would, I would really, that would hurt. I would, I would feel that. That's my spare money for if the appliances go down or the car has a, an accident. Like, I have very little margin. I would feel pretty heavy hit if I gave 100 bucks away. Okay, but would you still eat today and this next day and this week and next week? And would you still have, would you still have indoor lodging? Could you give it away and still eat? Because there's people in the world today, if they gave away the meal that's in front of them, the meager meal in front of them, if they gave it away, they'd have nothing to eat for the rest of the day. And that's a paltry little amount that we could just lose and not, not think too much about. But they would have nothing. So can you give a, a number? I threw 100, but it doesn't matter what the number is. Can you give something away? And though it might stretch you, you'd still be able to eat today and tomorrow and beyond. Then you still have a roof over your head. Can we give it away and still be okay? If the answer is, well, I could, th then you're rich. You're rich. I'm rich today because we have so much. So Jesus is going to talk to people in a crowd. about. So here's a story about Jesus I want to get to because that's our, our last text was about our campaign and where we get it from. Jesus has an encounter where he's teaching the crowds of people that are gathered. He's teaching them about not worrying. He's teaching them about trusting him, about dealing with anxiety. He's teaching about relationships. But while he's teaching, someone in the crowd is sitting there, and they're not really paying attention. They're zoned out. Now, I know that never happens here when I'm teaching. You never zone out. You're always clued in on every last word, right? Oh, good, thank you. Yeah, thanks for lying, I appreciate it. Um, so Jesus is talking and someone's kind of spacing out because they, they came to his talk that day with their own things going on and they were more worried about their thing than what he had to say. So they're like, yeah, 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 stop rambling. I got something, to, I got something more important on my mind. So at some point, they can contain themselves no longer and when Jesus pauses to take a breath, they interrupt him and change the subject with what they were concerned about. And the story takes place in Luke 12, 16. I'm sorry, verse 13. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. So apparently, he's just talking away. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But hey, listen, <laughs> time out. More important, would you stop telling everybody what you're telling them and tell my brother to share our father's estate? Because dad died and he has the keys to the, to the portfolio. Now, that's always frustrating, Right? I've been here a long time in this community, and um, I've learned over and over and over again that, boy, I'll tell you what, it's, people can fight. 25 years of doing funerals, I've seen people stand 
not very often, thankfully, I see people stand at the death of their last parent and in the hours they should be grieving and coming together, fight with each other over their family's fortune. I've seen it. And here's a brother saying, hey, stop the show. Tell my brother to share. And, and we're thinking, this guy, uh, he, has a, he has a point. He's probably not very well off. He probably says, I need my portion of my father's estate. Maybe he was rich and just wanted more. Who knows? But probably he's like, that guy has all of it. And that's not right. And by the way, that's not right. The guy should share with his brother, right? So he's got a legitimate complaint. So he stopped the show to bring up a legitimate complaint to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says to him, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Like, I'm going to stop what I'm talking about to deal with that. I'm not a judge. I'm not an arbitrator. There's a system for it. But here's the thing. That's a, that's a big deal, but that's not what my mission here is here for. I'm, I'm here for something more big. You want me to be a spiritual teacher that uses my weight to step into this civil situation, and it's important, but it's not what we're dealing with right now. It's not what I'm here to de- accomplish today. And then Jesus turns away from the man and says to the crowd in verse 15, then he said to the crowd, beware, beware, guard against every kind of greed. And that's a powerful statement because greed comes in different forms. Guard against every kind of greed. So in this particular story, you could say the guy who had his father's estate and was holding it to himself and not sharing with his brother was greedy. You could also make a case that the person who's sitting there, so consumed with wanting his fair share, and he shouldn't have more than me, and I want my cut, and, and consumed in, by the situation, was being greedy. Different kinds of greed. Greed takes different forms. You know, we oftentimes think of greedy people to be like Ebenezer Scrooge. You know, it's Christmas season coming, right? You know, a guy, he lived a meager, poor life so, so he can have more money in the bank. He has so much money, he can't, he, he just stacks his coins on top of each other until they topple over, you know? That's greedy. But we often don't think of greedy as being something other than having lots of money. Sometimes greedy is having no money because as fast as I get money, I spend it on me. A little nicer house, a little nicer vehicle, more better wardrobe, eating out. I mean, what comes in, I don't save it, I spend it on me. And so it's materialism, right? Materialism is saying whether I'm hoarding my money or I'm spending it on me, it can be a form of greed. Or as we've said before, greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption, Everything that comes my way is because God's blessed me or life's blessed me or I've earned it. And everything that comes my way is for me. The assumption that it's all for my consumption to either hoard the money or spend it on me, it's all about me. And God, Jesus says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. And then he adds this. He says, life is not measured by how much you own. That's a good statement. Because it's easy for us to think about, you know, how much do we own? We measure life in funny ways. But, you know, as we've said before, you'll never see a, a hearse pulling a U-Haul. We, we leave it all behind one day. And, and, and it's interesting, and I, I can't go here for sake of time, but after I've done many, many years of doing funerals for people, I've noticed that in the eulogies that are given, you sum up someone's life through a very different set of parameters than we often do while, while we're living. How we measure life while we're living is a skewed way that once it's gone, we measure it more honestly. That's a whole sermon in itself, so I'll leave it alone. But here's the bottom line. We don't measure our life by how much we own. And you're like, Arlen, I get that. I get that, but here's the deal. It's not just how much I own. I just need a bit more. 
Like, here's the deal, Arlen. I'm not greedy. I don't want to be the richest person in the world. I don't need to be Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or any of those people with lots of money. Uh, I just need to have a bit more. I just need to get to the next tier. You know, it's like driving through your subdivision and going to another one and saying, if I lived in those houses, then I'd, I'd be, I'll have arrived. Of course, people in those subdivisions are driving through someone else's subdivision saying, if I lived in that one, I'd have arrived, you know. But if I just had a nicer car, if I had a little bit more, another tier of income, one more raise, or maybe what my neighbor made, if I just had the next tier up, then I'd be comfortable. I don't need to be rich, just comfortable. And comfortable is the next level. Then I'll just have enough. But here's the funny thing about that word enough. Enough is an elusive amount it never arrives. Like enough, it, it just, it moves around. Like we used to have less than we do now, many of us, and we said, if I just had that much, and now we you have that, and we said, if I just had more. And, and if you look at the people who, who are on that next tier of, of financial well-being than you are, and thought, if I had what they have, I'd have enough, and you knew that they were looking at people who had more than them, saying, if I had what they had, I'd have enough, you look at those people ahead of you and say, you shouldn't think that, because you have enough already. And if I had what you had, I'd have enough. But here's the crazy part. Here's the crazy part of that. Is people who have less than us look at what we have and say, if I had what you had, I'd have enough. Right? There are people all over the world fighting to get into our world, fighting to get into our country, fighting to get into our, our neighborhood, who would love to have the things that we complain is not enough. So enough is an elusive amount. It just never arrives. It's like an itch that you try to scratch, but it keeps moving. You ever have that itch in your back? It's always in your back, by the way. You know, it moves everywhere you go. That's, that's, that's what enough is. So Jesus is realizing that he can't finish his message because this guy interrupted him. So he's going to go ahead and talk about this topic and what enough means to a crowd of people who are listening. He tells them a short story that I want to pass on to you. Jesus says in verse 16, he told them a story. He said, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. Now what that means is this man's a farmer, but unlike other farmers who produced typical crops, if you've, if you've ever farmed, you know what I'm talking about. Farmers are always petrified about how it's gonna turn out. Like, God, please, 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 please send more rain, please send more rain. God, please stop the rain, please stop the rain. It's like a fickle thing and you're hoping it's gonna work out, right? It's hard. And, and, but, but whenever you, it comes and goes and it works out the way it does, you know, whatever the typical harvest was for most farmers, this guy produced well above normal because he had a very fertile piece of land. Whether he inherited it from his father and grandfather or he had bought it and got lucky or he was shrewd and smart, either way, he's sitting on a gold mine. And his fertile land is producing fine crops. Everyone else is getting normal crops. He's getting fine crops. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's normal and there's fine he has that. And so he's doing really well. In verse 17, he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have enough room for all my crops. Like the, how, the, the, the storage units I have to store my crops, I usually hope I can fill them better. And this year, I can fill them all the way and still not have enough room for all my crops. What am I going to do? Now, folks, that is the definition of a good problem, right? 
That's like the, that's the epitome of a good problem. Like, I don't have enough room to put all my wealth, you know? Like, it's like, Arlen, I'm having a hard time. Like, today's terms, I'm having a hard time. I have so much money that when I put my money in rubber bands, it keeps popping the rubber bands because there's so much money and they can't contain my money. Uh, what am I going to do? That's a good problem to have. And so this guy's over here saying, my barns can't even hold my produce. What am I going to do? And what he could say is, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find people who have plenty of room in their barn because they they're, they're struggling. I'm going to give to the needy. I'm going to live off of my, I'm going to fill mine up and I'm going to live well. And I'm going to let them also have blessing and share, be, you know, be rich in good works and generous to those in need and always willing to share with others. But that's not what he says. Here's what he says. He says, I know I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's the secret. See, the problem is, is, is in my barns. If I can just sell some of my crops, get enough cash to build some bigger barns, I can then take the rest of my stuff and fill the bigger barns, and if I build them big enough, I can have a couple more good harvests with my very fertile land and eventually fill those beyond my wildest dreams. You know, he's thinking. And then he says, then, then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. Not now, but then, you know, that, that, that later time, that next tier, it'll all be, I'll be set then. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for many years to come. He's like, I don't have enough yet. But once I get to that next level, get the bigger barns and fill those babies up, then I'll have had enough. But not yet. And once I get enough, I'll be able to finally relax a little, take my foot off the gas. I'll be able to, to take it easy and to eat and drink and be merry and start enjoying life a little bit then. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Now you're like, that seems kind of harsh, call him a fool. Don't misunderstand what God's saying. He's not saying it's, it's dumb to financially plan. It's not dumb to, you know, we all would like to think I'd like to invest and have it pay off and do well for myself. That's not, he's not criticizing him for being good at business or you know, doing well or thinking of the future. What he's saying is, you don't understand something, God's saying, that I understand because you can't understand it. You don't know something that I know, and that is that you're going to die tonight. And there's no way you could know that. It's not your fault. You just don't have the perspective I have. You, but I know that you're going to die because that's what happens with death. It happens suddenly. The accident happens on the way home, or the, or the tragedy strikes unexpectedly, or the prognosis is given by the doctor that you never thought you'd hear, and all of a sudden, on a dime, life changes. And, and God says, you don't know what's about to happen, but I do, and you're about to die before then. And it's just, it's just, what, it's just how life goes. And then God says this to him, then, who will get everything you've worked for? You want to talk about Then? Well, here's the question about then. Then who's going to get all the stuff that you have now that's not enough, that can't fit into your barns, but it's not enough, that you're going to plan to get enough? Then once you die here shortly, who's going to get all that stuff that you are discontent with? Now, is your, your wife and her next husband going to go spend it all? Is that going to make you happy to think about that? Good, congratulations. Your kid's going to fight over it? Bicker and have destroyed relationships? Or maybe the lawyers will fight over it and probate and, and drain you for the law? Sharks that they are. Or, or, or maybe, you know, someone will force give, give some to, to the poor and needy. But you won't be around to make the decision because it's going to be someone else's decision. You're about to be gone. And it's why, look, it's why I often say, do your giving while you're living. 
You know? If you have a chance to bless someone, bless them while you can. Because what's better is say, hey, I'm going to give something to my kids while I'm alive and they can say thank you. Or wait till I'm dead and them say, well, the, the, the old geezer finally kicked off so we could get, a, get access to the stuff, you know? I mean, you know, or, you know, are we going to be generous to the needy and poor while we can? Or, well, he's finally gone. Maybe someone, some good can be done. I, I don't want to find out that my death blessed the world. What if my life can say, let me help somebody. Let me do something while I can see the smile on their face. While I can have a say-so in the matter. And, and so do your giving while you're living. Why? Because then you're knowing where it's going, right? I mean, that's, that's what works for me. So that's what we ought to be doing. And so G, Jesus says to this guy, it's over, Rover. And you, and you waited to chase an enough that is always elusive and never is going to arrive for you. And then Jesus ends the story by saying this in verse 21. Jesus said, that yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Not that you're a fool to store up rich earthly wealth. That's nothing wrong with, with doing well if you're able to do it. Now, it's not right to do it unethically, but, but, but you could be wealthy and miss what's more important. Like to have that is a bad trade-off if you miss what's more important, which is a rich relationship with God. And in context of the story that Jesus is telling, and in context with the passage we read earlier, what he's talking about is being, is, is being in a close relationship with God where you're working and partnering with a God who has been generous to you and me, who has given so much for you and me, who calls us to join with him and be in relationship as we give and bless others the way that he has given and blessed us. And if you miss that, but you have more than your neighbor. You didn't have much of anything because you were not rich, though you were. And so I want to say something that we've said before, but I think it's an important distinction. And I know you get this. I know we get this. But it's such a good statement that there is a difference between having riches and being rich. You can have riches and not be rich. You can have very little and be rich. It's, 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 a part, it's a lot of things. It's the contentment with what you have. It's, doing, being, it's being open-handed with what you have, saying, I have enough to help a, a person in need or share with other people or do some good works versus the people who say, no, it's for me, and I, what about who's, who's after it, and it's mine, and I got bigger goals. So the difference between having riches and being rich. And that's why Paul said earlier in our passage in Timothy, that's why Paul said, teach those who are rich to be rich. That's a summary statement, but teach those who are rich to actually, to actually be rich. And that's what our campaign is all about every year. And I know that you get this, and you're, uh, as a church, we're, we're, we're um, on board, but I just want to remind us of the why behind the what. Now, I'm done with my message, but we're not going home yet. I'm going to take the next few minutes or so to talk about how our church is looking to be rich this year to the people that we want to help. There's three organizations that we want to help this year. We always find a two or three to partner with. And this year, we want to partner with three. We want to do so financially. I want to tell you how to do that, but also with our hands if we can. And so let me give you the organizations one at a time. The first organization is one we've partnered with in the, in the last couple years before. We're going to do it again. Is a group called Mommy's Haven. It's based out of Lowell. And I love Mommy's Haven because uh, they help young single moms Get, who are struggling to get on their feet and find a way forward. What a wonderful program Mommy's Haven is. Because a lot of you in this room, a lot of us in this room, many people here, probably it's very, a very important issue to you about the sanctity of life. 
But a lot of people I've seen say that, but then treat people who, who keep that child as if, like, I don't have to help you. You shouldn't have gotten yourself in that mess in the first place, you know? And I don't care about those who struggle to take care of a young life rather than, than discarding it because it's an inconvenience. And so Mommy's Haven takes those single young moms who are trying to figure it out and say, how can we help you? What do you need? And they need a lot of things. Whether it's um, get help, let's help, get, help you get your GED, let's help you get some college training or advanced secondary, some kind of, to get into a job, help you with child care. They have a house that they, people can live in for a season to be safe there and get on their feet by, by giving them free housing. They can help them get them to job interviews. They can get them uh, social security and all the things for their kids and for themselves to get on their feet to keep them from running into a bad, abusive, or dangerous situation somewhere else that will continue the cycle another generation. And they help single young moms get on their feet. It's amazing. By the way, and being a young mom, listen, being a young mom is hard work when you have a spouse or partner. Can I get an amen? I mean, being a young mom is hard when you got help. Being a single young mom is rough. And to help these moms in this situation, to be able to give them a helping hand, to get them back in and go forward, is a big deal. And Mommy's Haven is meeting the need. We want, so last year, so our food pantry every year, uh, when we get extra supplies, giving us like diapers or wipes or formulas, we meet, meet the needs that we have with that, that stuff. We give, our, we give some of that to Mommy's Haven. And then last year, our Be Rich campaign, we raised enough money to give two computers to them because they were running computers so the moms who live in their house can get online and get some of the stuff done and figure out what to go next and, and move their life forward. And we were able to meet that need. We want to keep blessing the people who are making a real difference and blessing others. So Mommy's Haven. Next organization that's new to us this year, I want to point out, is called Hearts in Motion. Hearts in Motion is wonderful. It's a great program. Let me uh, just tell you, a lot of what they do is done down in Central and South America, particularly in Guatemala, because God opened a door where there's a, a, a tremendous amount of poverty in the region that they serve in, tremendous amount of poverty. And, and they offer, and they help anybody, but especially young kids who are oftentimes in dire straits. But they help them with surgeries, uh, I, I, I care, which by the way, there's a whole study, we'll talk about this sometime, of, of people and their ability to have uh, vision care and their ability to make a difference in their status of life and how long they live. It's weird, but it's true. I care, surgeries, uh, food, shelter, buildings, all, they, do, um, they do God's work down there in Central South America and especially in Guatemala. And they fund that work a lot of ways. Some people volunteer their talents and travel. Some people they have don are donors. But they have a lot of ways they raise awareness. One unique way they do it is, well, they have a, for example, in Cherville, they have a resale shop. This is interesting. That everything that's given to the resale shop, like you would do to a place that you donate your stuff to, that's worth donating and not throwing away. The people that's donated to their resale shop, people will also volunteer their time there so that what they don't have to spend an overhead and what's sold is all sent down as one more way to fund the work in Guatemala. So they have these weird avenues of ways to raise more money and just funnel it back into this need globally. I love what they're doing. They're really awesome people. We'll talk about that another time. The third organization is one I'm really excited about because I've got to meet the people who are leading it in, in, on certain levels. Very impressed with Habitat for Humanity. 
Habitat for Humanity is pretty well known. They do global work, but especially in the country. And what they really do well is going into cities and states where people are in impoverished areas. Like in our county, do you think about Gary or East Chicago, perhaps? And they go to places where people who have generationally never been able, think about this, people who in their entire family lineage has never had one homeowner, not one person ever owned their own home in their whole family history. And, and, and they might seem small to you, but there's something about not bouncing around from place to place to figure out where you're going to live next, that being able to get people to own their own place and, and start over is such a, a first massive turn in the cycle of changing generational trends in people's lives. And so they help get homes built. Now, like all of our organizations, they don't give a hand out, they give a hand up. So what they'll do is they'll say, if you're working, you'll show us you're going to meet the qualifications. You're doing what you can do, but it's not enough then what we're going to do is come alongside of you and we're going to make something possible. You're showing a track record of being able to take care of what you can. We're going to require you to put so many hours into this project and also get volunteers to help so many hours in this project. And then we're going to get this house built for you accustomed to your needs and we're going to give it to you. Not give it to you, we're going to, you're going to buy it at a tremendous deal and with no interest because we're going to front all the costs and so you can pay it off dirt cheap over the course of, of of many years, is you, you, you can do it. We're making it doable for anyone to change a generational trend and turn the cycle of poverty for an entire family going forward. And if you, if you don't appreciate how, we take that for granted, most of us do. If you can't appreciate how powerful that is, you just need to look into it more because it has made such a difference. The stories are astounding. The lives changed. It's great. So we want to do something to support them. Now, all three of these organizations, I'm going to put them on the screen here, all these organizations, we can help all of them um, in multiple ways. For one, we can help them with hands and feet, good works. Like Mommy's Haven sometimes needs people to drive moms to appointments to look for jobs or do other things that I don't even want to make a list because there's so many things that you can do to help them. Hearts in motion, it could be traveling to Guatemala to do some work there with your skills or just general help. Or it could be going to share a villain, getting into the, into the secondhand shop and, and just volunteering time to save them money to help them be able to make money to send to Guatemala. You can volunteer there. That's wonderful. Uh, Habitat for Humanity, if you've got building skills, you can go down there and help build houses or do skilled labor. What's that? Yeah. That's a good point. They, they will use some of the pies they get and they'll put them in their houses and what they can't use, they'll sell and their money goes to their houses too. That's the same, same thing as Hearts in Motion. Thank you, I forgot that. Um, and these are great organizations. So what I would say is there's ways to help in tangible. Oh, by the way, you say, well, I'm not, I'm not skilled at building. But Habitat for Humanity will actually bring projects to a church like ours or to a community, I'll say a church since we're a church, and, and build a, a site on the parking lot where the church people and anyone in the community can come together and bond as they work on these tasks together that they can assemble without much skill necessary and mingle as a community and as a faith community and then send it back and help these houses get put together. It's, there's tremendous ways that we can benefit these organizations with our hands and feet. But we also want to benefit them financially. And so part of our goal every year is to raise some money, and that's what Be Rich is also about. So every November we ask you to help us out, and we invite you to give a certain amount. And we keep the bar low enough to get you involved. I want to say this before I get started. You don't have to do anything. 
Nobody in our church monitors who's giving and who's not and follows you around like, ah, you've not given today. Or, or we have a shotgun at the back door. Nobody, if you don't do a single thing to, to join this cause, I love you, we love you, I'm glad you're here. It's okay, that's up to you. But I hope that you'll consider that we wanna raise some money for them. So here's what we're doing. We don't have a monetary goal in mind. We used to, a few years ago, we stopped doing that because we realized that's not what's important. Now, I have some numbers I hope we hit in my brain, but I don't have a monetary number to present today because I I have a better goal. We want our goal to be a participation goal. We want to get 100% participation. We're not mandating it. We're not going to follow up on anyone. We're not going to pay attention to who and who isn't. But we would love to find out that we did really well because it turns out we had 100% participation. Now, to do that, we've asked a certain amount as a base amount of giving that is very low, and we've asked the same amount the last few years without changing it. We're asking everyone, can you consider finding a way to give a one-time gift of $39.95 a person? Now, you say, why $39.95? Why not, why not $40? I don't know. I watched an infomercial with that number, and it sounded good to me. I don't know. No. No, here. Here's the thing. That number, has, listen, that number has not gone up for several years. Inflation averages 3% a year. In the last couple of years, inflation has gone way higher than that. But we've never raised the number we've asked for because we want to keep it low enough to where it's hittable. And I know for some of us in this room, $39.95 as a one-time gift for, for, uh, for you would be a stretch. It would be like, man, I, I would feel that. But here's my question. Can you give it away and still be okay? Will you eat and live indoors and be afford? Would it stretch you? But could you give it or not? That's up to you. For others of you, you're like, $39.95, that's like one trip to Culver's for my family. Uh, you know, I, I, Arlen, I could throw a zero behind that dollar amount. Some of you could throw a zero behind that dollar amount, right? Seriously. And it would probably affect you as much as $39.95 would affect somebody else. Here's my point. If, if all of us can say, I can do $39.95, this holiday season, and I can participate and be rich with what God has blessed me with. And others of us can say, Arlen, God has blessed me in a spot where to feel a similar impact, I can do much more. I believe we can bless Mommy's Haven and Hearts in Motion and Habit for Humanity in tangible ways. And it's, again, it's not just an individual. Look, I give individually, so do you. I love to buy people gifts when I know they need something or we support kids through, you know, um, World Vision and you probably do too. But I'm talking about going beyond what I can individually barely make a dent with and collectively we all share our generosity and it makes a bigger punch. And we can do that if all of us jump in and participate. So that's what I'm asking us to do is this or pray about an amount that you can do if God has blessed you enough to where that is very surpassable. Now, say how, okay, Arlen, when? Soon. We want to get this behind us. The longer it lingers, the more we forget about it. So we want to do it soon. The best time is now. The next best time is right after now, okay? We, because we want to get this money raised and give it to these causes before the holidays. So get it in their hands and put it to work. And some of them got to process things. We want to give it away. Now, by the way, I want to say this. Every penny that comes in is going out to be rich. You give it to be rich, we don't keep a handling fee or administrative cost. It, I'm giving to it. You're, we're going to send all of it out because we can do that. Now, how can you give? There's three ways I'm going to point out to you and then make one more appeal. You can go to our website, 
lighthousecedarlake.com, and there's a Be Rich tab on there that you can follow that's going to tell you how you can give digitally on your website. It's a great way to do it. You could do it right now or today quickly. Another way is to scan the QR. If you're, if you're tech savvy and your phone can actually zoom in that far because it's kind of way up here, get that QR code scanner. You could open it, your phone right now and get there or go to our website right now on your phone, and you could give today if you knew what you wanted to give or if you want to go home and pray about a bigger amount or a different amount or any amount, you can go home and, and do it soon. But if you go to our website or use that QR code or in the back of our auditorium at every exit and entrance are giving boxes. If you didn't know they were there, they're, they're there all the time. And you can grab a, uh, an envelope and you can write down on the envelope, be rich, and put some money in that envelope and, and it, when it comes in, goes to the campaign. Now, that's three ways you can do it. Two ways, online and in person through those giving boxes. As I say that, I need to make a request. For those of you who currently give to our church regularly, thank you. Please don't rob Peter to pay Paul. Do you know what I'm saying about that, right? Like, in other words, we appreciate the fact that we can keep our lights turned on and our, our bills paid and our, our, our things going forward because your regular gift makes that possible. And we have our own needs. I'm not even talking about lighthouse needs. We need a new parking lot from the ground up that we put Band-Aids on that needs like hundreds of thousands of dollars. We need a new carpet in the room. Don't look around, it's kind of gross. But we need big needs, but, but your regular giving helps us stay afloat. And so we don't rob Peter to pay Paul, please. I'm asking you if you're giving regularly to pray about giving an amount above and beyond your regular amount. Say, I'm going to give something extra this season in our Be Rich campaign. And if you don't ever give, if you've never given before, this is a great first step in giving. This is a first step in a generous move in your life. Would you consider starting your first time giving by giving to this cause that we can bless others with? And I'd love to see us participate together as a team. I think we can make, make, make a difference, but it's going to take all of us. And some of us to do a little heavier lifting if we can, but all of us doing something together, the numbers make the difference. Now, in the end, Paul says, tell those who are rich, teach those who are rich to be rich. Enough is a little bit more than I have now, but it's elusive. But can I give it away and I still be okay? Can I, can I be generous to those in need? Can I be rich in good works? Can I always have open hands willing to share with others? Can I do something that God has blessed me with? And today my call to us is be rich. There's a difference between having riches and being rich. And I want our church to celebrate. Look, I don't know about you. I'll wrap up with this because I need to, I'm, I'm past time. Whoops. Um, I try to thank God regularly in my prayer time for, for my blessings. Some of the things I thank God for regularly are the same because they never, they're always, they're macro, they're always there. Some things are blessings that come and go. But one of the things I thank God for regularly is that I, I, I was born in this time of history, not a long time ago. All right? Like not in the dark ages or the middle ages or even the 30 or 40 years ago. 50 years ago that I was an adult. I was born that long ago, but that's another story. Um, I, you know, seriously, like, I would rather be, would you rather be, you know, as poor as you feel today or the richest person 200 years ago with no iPhone or Netflix, you know what I'm saying? I mean, the bottom line is, is I'm thankful I live when I live because it's kind of nice. And I'm also thankful that I live where I live because we live in a very prosperous and wealthy part of the world. 
And if we don't have seen that, we don't know. But we, to live where we live and, and, and when we live, I'm so thankful that I don't deserve that, but it's what a blessing. And, and I want to take advantage of God's goodness in my life and say, where can I help someone else? So I hope that we can be rich together this year. Thank you for being a part of this service. I have no tear-jerking illustration to end with. I'm just going to pray and get to the rest of our service, but thank you for joining us today. Now, I didn't mention this, so I have to. For the next three weeks, we're not going to preach about this again. This is our one sermon, and we're done with this conversation in, in my sermon. But for the next three weeks, we're going to showcase each of those three causes for like five minutes during announcement time. We have representatives from two of the three organizations who are going to come here, and we're going to meet them in person and hear from them, and we're going to have a table in the back where, they, where we, can, we can meet them and get some materials about what they do. So every week for the next three weeks, we're going to showcase each of these causes by themselves, one a week for the next three weeks during announcement time, not during the sermon. But let's be praying about how we can help bless others this season.